6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 3 through 10. Thou shalt destroy them that speak falsehoods. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. Ooh, boy. See, there is no such thing... Hear me, this is important. There is no such thing as abstract evil, except in dictionaries and in philosophy books. Evil is not an abstraction, except in in vocabulary. Evil is a terrible force wrecking lives and capturing people into hell. It's active moment by moment everywhere you look. And the people who are the losers in that battle are called in the Bible the earth dwellers. We are not to be dwelling on the earth. We're passing through. In the book of Revelation, the term earth dwellers is very clearly, as you study it, the losers. And of course, Lisa's Kazab, yeah, I think I covered that, untruth. Also, it doesn't have anything to do with financing. David continues, But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. He takes God seriously. We talk a good game. I appreciate you coming out here tonight to enjoy the study, but the issue that's before all of us is we take him seriously enough. Every one of us in this room, me included, needs to raise the bar on our personal walk. We need to understand that. And sometimes the people in the pulpits like myself have the most urgent need to raise that bar, especially in America, the American pulpits. How few really declare a gospel that God wouldn't abhor. As for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies, and make thy way straight before my face. So David is praying for guidance. He's confident in the God he worships, but he's soliciting guidance. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. This sounds like the Absalom Rebellion. That's one of the reasons we suspect this emerged from that same period in David's adventures. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. Now, by the way, this is what we call an imprecatory psalm. We'll talk a little bit about that. Many people, as New Testament Christians, are very uncomfortable with some of the Psalms. David here is praying for justice. 
anyone who resents this kind of praying can't pray, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as heaven, because we have a just God. Thomas Jefferson summarized that so well. As I tremble for my country when I recall that God is just and his justice will not sleep forever. He understood it on a national basis. Destroy them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Why? Because I'm mad at them? No, because they are dishonoring God. Cast them out of the multitude of the transgressions, for they have rebelled against me? No, against thee, God. The issue isn't that they're against David. The issue is that they're against David's appointed leader. They are against God, whether they realize it or not. So this opens the door to a classification of psalms, sometimes called the imprecatory psalms. And Psalm 6 is one of those. And we will obviously incur a number of others as, as we go. The enemies that are here prayed about are rebels against God. So don't let some of that language shock you because it sounds so unchristian. No, this is, this is a question of being jealous for God. The covenant people, the Jews, the nation Israel, were protected against conditions of obedience. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 27 through 29. Never forget Genesis 12, 2 and 3. I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee is God's commitment to Abraham. And you can study the rise and fall of empires by their treatment of Israel. The British abrogated their commitments under the Balfour Agreement. They were given the, the League of Nations and the UN gave, gave them the uh, mandate to give a homeland to the Jews. They gave 75% of that to the Palestinians, a Palestinian state called Jordan. That's when the sun began to set on the British Empire. Germany set up some ghettos and machine gunned anyone that climbed over those walls. It wasn't long before there was a wall around Berlin. Anyone climbed over those walls were machine gunned. Until Rudolf Hess, the last of the, that generation, passed away in Spandau Prison. Then that wall came down. Interesting. See, this battle between good and evil has been going on since Genesis 3. We need to understand that. It hasn't gone away. And you and I are participants in that battle. We're both the pawns and also the prize in that contest. And you can't remain neutral. There's no way you can miss it. Life is not a spectator sport. Whether you realize it or not, you're in the action. You may have been sidelined. Be aware of that. I want you to compare... Jeremiah's imprecatory psalms, John the Baptist's imprecatory psalms in Matthew 3, Jesus' own comments in Matthew 23, the martyrs in heaven in Revelation 6, Lord, how long before you avenge us? No, these are centerline stuff, uncomfortable to many because they don't understand that Jesus Christ is not only our kinsman redeemer, he is our avenger of blood. Those are two sides of the same coin. You need to understand what a goel is. And we'll move on. 
David continues, but let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Boy, can we digest that sentence for a while. But thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous and with favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. And the word shield here is not the muggin. It's a different word meaning the large, almost like a door that wraps around them. Different word. Okay, let's keep moving. Book of Psalms, Psalm 6. This is the first of a series of Psalms, sometimes cataloged as a penitential Psalm. Fancy word for someone who is repentant, undergoing discipline. Okay? Suffering under God's discipline. Don't assume because you're suffering, you don't deserve it. What's really in mind here is suffering you don't deserve. So often we don't think we deserve it. We probably do. They're ostracizing us not because we're Christians, it's because we're obnoxious. <laughs> okay? We have choices, and these choices, if you're under discipline. Now, this is the case where God is putting you in discipline. That can be for correct, correcting something that you need correcting on, or it can be like training an athlete for a race. He can discipline you for something that's happened. He can discipline you for something that's going to happen. You can discipline yourself for the big game in advance. You follow me? Same thing takes place. Well, when you're in discipline, you've got some choices. You can despise it if you like. You can resist it if you like. You can collapse under it and quit if you like. Or you can accept it and submit. What is God after? Submission. Absolutely. And then pray that the lessons not be wasted. There's nothing more foolish than to have to go through the same drill because you didn't do it right the first time. And by the way, be sure it's undeserved. If it's deserved, that's a different... And by the way, many of us have hurts. The hurts that are justified are the most dangerous. If someone's hurt you, you have a justified hurt. They're the most dangerous. Why? Because they're the ones you won't let go of. If you recognize that, if you can forgive, it will be out of your life and not hold you in bondage. If you think it's undeserved, You'll cling to it, and it'll hold you in bondage. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I encourage you to get my wife's books. They're the root book being the way of agape. Incredible how fundamental that is. Okay, let's move on. Verse 1 of, chapter, of, of Psalm 6. To the chief musician at, on Naganoth of Sheminith, a psalm of David. Now, the Naganoth word we've heard before, a stringed instrument, Shemineth is like saying the eighth. So this may have something to do with an octave. Moving up an octave, down an octave, maybe down to the deeper voices. Who knows? Those are all speculations. But it's Neganoth upon a Shemineth, so it's on a stringed instrument, but an octave off somehow. I'll leave that for you to guess what that might mean. <laughs> we'll move on. David says, O oh Lord, 
Rebuke me not in thine anger, nor chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed. But thou, O Lord, how long? So he's pretty desperate here. A couple of comments. The word vexed in the 17th century when this was translated was a far more intensive word than you and I are familiar with. We don't use that word very often. When we use it, it sounds sort of light. I'm vexed. I'm a little puzzled. No, what it really meant, I'm faint, I'm weak, I'm so troubled, I'm terrified. That's what the word vexed really means or did in the, at this time. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. I assume most of you realize the difference between mercy and grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting that which you do. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am... We never pray for justice, by the way. <laughs> Just thought I'd point that out to you. I want mercy, not justice. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed. But thou, O Lord, how long? The how long question comes up 16 times in the Psalms and, of course, is echoed by the martyrs in under the altar in Revelation chapter 6. But David continues, says, Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? The word grave there is Sheol. Grave is physical. That's something you can own. You can own a grave. Sheol is the, depart, the, the, the realm of the departed afterlife thing. Now, the, not, the understanding of the afterlife in the Old Testament is very limited. And the uh, New Testament clarifies that in 2 Timothy 1.10. With the New Testament, we have much more illumination on all of that, heavily indebted to Luke 16 and other passages. So don't be surprised in the Old Testament you find some uh, less than clear understanding of some of that. For in death there is no... See, David's arguing, in, 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 he's assuming in afterlife, who's going to praise you, God? That's an argument, don't let me go to the afterlife. I want to continue to praise you. That's really what he's saying. For in the death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave, who shall give thee thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. His bed is drenched with tears through the night. That's graphic. And probably not an exaggeration. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Funny how our eyes telegraph so much of our situation. It's amazing what a doctor can tell by looking in your eyes. It's a window in your, in your being. David, can you depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. See, it echoes the same thing in the last few Psalms. So let's now go to Psalm 7. The Shigion of David, which he sang unto the Lord concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. Okay, we know what the context is here a little bit. Cush the Benjamite was among a group of evil men from the tribe of the king, King Saul's tribe, who spied, and they were paid to do that on David, 
And they spread vicious rumors back to Saul about it to get approval or to get money. And Saul believed them. And much of what they reported was contrived. So they're, they're shredding his personal um, uh, reputation and intentions and so forth. It's astonishing what gossip can do. It's probably the most painful sin. Now, the word shagion of David is a word that occurs only here in the Psalms, and it occurs also in Habakkuk 3, which is the Psalm of Habakkuk. Um, it apparently means to wander and cry aloud. Visualize, uh, visualize almost a wandering minstrel crying and, and calling, and uh, that's sort of the, the flavor of this. So let's jump in. O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. Lest he tear my soul like a lion, rendering it in pieces while there is none to deliver. Notice the change in from plural to singular. In verse 1, it says, all them that persecute me. It's a group. But his real concern shows up in verse 2. Lest he, singular, tear my soul like a lion. He's talking about Saul. Saul's hearing all these false reports, getting angrier and angrier, and, and uh, uh, destroying any possibility of reconciliation with David. O oh Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rendered evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy. Let the enemy persecute my soul, take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay my honor in the dust, Selah. Now you understand that David had had two opportunities to kill Saul and didn't. He refused to do so. So he demonstrated his, his lack of malice in ways that Saul should have understood. And um, there's no personal malice here. For I have rend- if, if I have rendered evil unto him that was at peace with me, Yea, I've delivered him with that, with that without cause is mine enemy. Twice. He had an enemy without cause. And he chose not to take advantage. If, if that's not the case, let the enemy persecute by Selah. Take it and let, yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass me round for their sakes, therefore return thou on high. Boy, we'd like to call that right now, wouldn't we? The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to thy righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. Boy, what a wonderful ability to make that claim. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. But establish the just, for the righteous God trieth the hearts and the reins. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. This is what Romans 12 essentially argues, that only God can truly vindicate. David's not trying to vindicate himself against his enemies. He's leaving that to the Lord. That's where we're supposed to do the same thing. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He had ordained his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the pitch, the ditch which he had made. It's on his enemies, obviously. 
He hath made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pit. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. The Lord Most High, that's a phrase that's very unique. It occurs relatively rare here. It's Yod Heh Vav El Elyon, the Most High. And uh, this, this, this whole flavor here is what you might call retributive justice. Remember, Saul wanted to kill David, right? Saul died by his own sword. Pharaoh ordered the male babies drowned in the Nile in Egypt, remember? His own army drowned in the Red Sea. Haman built gallows to hang Mordecai, the book of Esther. Who, hung on, who was the first to hang on those gallows? Haman. I didn't bother to make the correction here because most people assume they're gallows. That's a mistranslation. They were impaled. It's crucifixion you're talking about, which was invented by the Persians. But that's a subtlety we don't have to deal with here. Now we get to Psalm 8. Now, you know, every once in a while, there's one of these gems that we really want to savor. And I don't want to shortchange Psalm 8. Let's just read it through first to the chief musician on Githith, a Psalm of David. This one's a treasure. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. Ooh, there's an unusual word. We'll come back to that. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Psalm 8. It's one of a small group of what are called nature psalms. There's five of these that extol the focuses the natural world around us. This one is also one of the Messianic Psalms. And how do I know that? Because it's quoted as such in the New Testament as a Messianic Psalm. Matthew 21, 16, Jesus himself quotes it after he cleanses the temple. And Hebrews 2, 1 Corinthians 15, Ephesians 1, all quote this Psalm. So let's look at it a little more closely. To the chief musician upon a gitteth, a Psalm of David. Now the gitteth is a word that means a wine press. It apparently also must mean some kind of instrument, or possibly it's a reference to some vintage tune. It's a, who knows? That may be uh, culturally dependent. O Lord, our Lord. Now, it's not obvious, but there's a threefold confession there. Uh, that there's one God, that he created all people of the, in the earth, and, and uh, that uh, his people in particular are the people of his pasture. That they can say, our Lord. That's something in those days only a Jew could say. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens, beyond the atmosphere. 
indeed. We'll talk a little bit about that. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength. Does that sound familiar? It's because Jesus quotes it after he cleanses the temple. Because of thine enemies, thou, that, that thou mightest still, quiet down, that is, the enemy and the avenger. You know, the cry of Moses, a baby, in the bulrushes caught, brought Egypt to its knees. Baby Samuel saved the nation and brought David to his throne. A babe in Bethlehem brought salvation to the world. Interesting. Then he goes on. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. Wow. Ralph Waldo Emerson penned a line that I had to stick in the notes. If the stars came out only once in a century, everybody would gaze at them all night. Such a breathtaking spectacle we take for granted because it's there all the time. If it came out only on rare occasions, man, would we be overwhelmed with a majesty of just the stars at night. Interesting thought. Then this famous line, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? What makes this even more emphatic in the Hebrew, the first word man there is enosh, which means weak and frail. The second, the son of man, as the word is adumah, born of the earth. Both are diminutives, in other words. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. And it's actually Elohim, which is a, can be used as a generic term for God and the angels and that. But in any case, made him, he didn't make him a little above the animals, like science would have you believe, but a little lower than God and the angels. Big different, difference in perspective and has crowned him with glory and honor in the last Adam, of course. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music